This is Family Twist, a podcast about astonishing adoption stories and finding family via DNA magic. I'm Kendall. And I'm Corey. And we've been inseparable partners in life since 03, 04, 05, also known as March 4th, 2005. In January 2018, our found family journey took us 3,000 miles from the San Francisco Bay Area to New England, where we now live near my biological father, two half-siblings, and their families. We love being near them all, and the adventure continues. Thank you for joining us again on Family Twist. We're very excited about uh, today's guest, Sherry Lead. Sherry has a couple really remarkable adoption stories, and there's that DNA twist in there as well. Welcome, Sherry. Hi, thank you so much. I'm so excited to talk to you. I've been listening to your podcast, and so I, your voices sound so familiar to me. <laughs> we appreciate that. Thank you. <laughs> All right, so we'd already done introductions, so why don't we just launch in, I mean, just the, the bits that we already know about your stories that are so interesting. Uh, tell us a little bit about your birth and your parents and childhood, that, that sort of thing. Sure. So I was born in Seoul, South Korea. And if my records are correct, I was found in a parking lot in a box um, without any identifying information. So I didn't, did not have a birth family name with me, a birth date or birth location, birthplace. So I just sort of appeared, and this is back in uh, 1969, 1970, so uh, quite some time ago when international adoptions, they consider South Korea to be the first um, real wave of international adoptions following the Korean War because there were so many Amerasian and Euro-Asian babies left there after the war. Um, so we're the, even though I'm... Um, a few years after the Korean War, I'm still considered in that first wave of international adoptees. Um, and of course, I was adopted into the United States. And um, like you, Kendall, I was adopted and raised as an only child. My parents who adopted me were uh, of Japanese descent, both being born here in the United States, uh, but also a generation older than my friend's parents. So they were the same age as my friend's grandparents. And they, as Japanese Americans, were interned during World War II, uh, which uh, happened on the West Coast for Jap people of Japanese descent. I was a Korean adoptee raised by Japanese American parents that were a generation older and also, similar to you, Kendall, very religious. Mm -hmm. uh, there I grew up uh, in a very conservative, Christian conservative family. That's kind of it in the beginning, the nutshell in the beginning, <laughs> the framework of it all. At what age did you find out you were adopted? I always knew I was adopted as far as uh, it was just part of my birth story. There was a book that showed me coming off of the plane, two women from uh, the agency that I was adopted through, which was Hold International. I believe they were the first large agency to start the international adoptions in Korea. And at the time, parents not like today, where they travel a lot of times to the countries to pick up their children, we were many of us, most of us were delivered to the U.S. So my first pictures were me coming off of a plane uh, with two older uh, Caucasian white women. And uh, so that's why I saw my baby book. Right. So I knew. Wow. How open were your parents to talking about um, their time in the camp? Mm -hmm. They were 
you know, my dad was a little bit older. He was uh, born in 1922. So when he, it really affected him um, all of his life. He was born in Seattle, on Main Street in Seattle. He had never, neither parent has had ever left the U.S. except for a, a few trips to Canada. So they had never been to any Asian country. And for my dad, he always tried to be this great, you know, this good American citizen and to kind of prove he was American. So this really affected him. Uh, it was the only topic that when he started to talk about it, it made him emotional. And he used to say, I don't know where these emotions are coming from. Um, it, he wasn't from the generation that was open to talk about, about therapy or things that, you know, affected you in that way. Uh, so they talked about it, but it was not necessarily... Uh, something that was super comfortable. And because of it, we I grew up not really traveling the U.S. because my dad didn't feel comfortable with our Asian faces. He didn't feel welcome everywhere. Were they open to you discovering about your heritage or what was that? What was the conversations like um, with, you know, Japanese parents and you coming from Korea? Yeah. So they didn't realize that, especially back then, that there was such a, uh, a dislike between the Japanese people and Koreans uh, in general. And so when Japanese, other Japanese Americans or Japanese from Japan would find out that they adopted a Korean child, uh, the reaction was not always very positive. In fact, I remember uh, as a child, most of their family was born here in the US, but there were some that uh, were from Japan. And I remember as a child hiding because I was at a family gathering and there was discussion about how terrible Korean people were. Uh-huh. And uh, I remember hiding. And this is back, you know, like I said, in the 70s, where adoptive parents weren't given the tools that they have available to them now. And so they, although I knew about adoption, the way they dealt with it was, it doesn't matter. Hmm. You're just like us. It doesn't matter. So. They didn't really, you're, you're basically, they would kind of say, you're basically Japanese. And I knew I wasn't. Uh, and it was a big deal for me to, to want to be uh, known as, as Korean or at least as an adoptee. Um, and I did not meet another Korean person actually until I was in law school. So until my twenties. Whoa. Wow. wow. That is surprising. Yeah. Wow. yeah, yeah. Uh, we just, I, I know, you know, in the Seattle area too, there's a lot of, especially now, there's a lot of Korean families, Korean businesses. But at the time, uh, that was not my parents, a group of people. Mm-hmm. And uh, where I went to school, uh, there weren't other Korean students there. And so I just never was a part of that community. And until I lost one, I met my first Korean friend. <laughs> wow. Wow. Which... I can understand your, you know, I, I've heard so many stories of uh, the Japanese people who were born in the U.S. who just wanted to assimilate and felt, of course, really insulted that they were being treated as outsiders when they were born here. You know, it's just, it's shocking. And I can understand to to a small degree how they would have felt like, you know, yeah, of course you're just like we are, you know, you're you belong here. Uh, just like we do. My husband and I actually adopted our daughter too. And our daughter though is adopted from China. So I have Japanese American parents. I'm adopted from Korea and our daughter's adopted from China. Um, but it's interesting because I learned a lot about my adoption through being an adoptive parent also to 
to look at it from that angle. As an adopted person, for me, I, there was a big identity issue for me. And mm. I, then when I look at my parents who had been interned during World War II, and and when they when they came out intern internship um, internment, they try my dad especially tried to raise me to uh, actually kind of stay away from other Asian people because he mm. thought it would be safer for me if I wasn't in a group of Asian kids and and if I felt more comfortable you know around um, kind of the general population. And so it's interesting for me when I think back to how this affected me growing up, my identity and confidence, because I had the layer of my parents having struggling with their own identity. And then I can come in and I'm struggling as an adoptee to figure out myself. Um, so it's kind of layer upon layer. Touching on the identity topic, as a child, I mean, you, you didn't have any information about where you came from and it was a complete mystery. So is that do you kind of shut that off as far as like thinking I'm never going to find out where I really came from or did it make you more curious about, you know, who are my people? It really, it really used to bother me. I, I used to think, gosh, I must have in the back of my mind, some memory of, of my birth mother's face or the, the, the room I was in or because I was um, a few months old before I was abandoned. And I used to just try to get that that memory out. And I made up a story about my adoption when I was in kindergarten. And I told my hmm. kindergarten class that I was a Korean princess and I got in trouble. I got in trouble for that. I, my parents got called in. I was embarrassed. The principal got called, called in. And I never told that story again. Um, instead, I made up a a probably worse, worse story for myself based on the evidence I had of, of you know, kind of like I, I ended up with hip dysplasia being diagnosed in my 30s. And uh, I found out one of the causes is a breech birth. I thought, okay, that's it. I must have been a breech birth because I can't tell direction. And of course, this makes sense. Right, so I started right. to make up this other birth story that, that probably wasn't the most healthy birth story. Uh, but I used to. I used to try to figure it out. And now uh, I still want to know. I have my DNA in every <laughs> DNA bank possible, including lost children's uh, DNA bank in Seoul, South Korea. Wow. Well, that was one of the things that Kendall and I were talking about before we, we started speaking to you today was that are there other databases, you know, specific to Korea? So there, there is one. Yeah, it's fairly recent. They recently, and I say recent, probably within uh, the last maybe five years or so, passed a law that allowed Korean orphans to uh, submit their DNA to the, I believe it's through the police station in, in Korea. And so during the, I did this during you had to go through all these steps to do this because you had to verify that you were an orphan and you were an orphan person in Korea. And then you go to the Korean consulate in your area and submit the DNA. Um, it was a very surreal experience for me. And surprisingly, uh, it, it surprises me what becomes emotional. And I felt very emotional doing that. But also, uh, I also have to tell you the truth i don't feel very hopeful that that will lead to something mm. um but it, it's interesting how these emotions come up for me where i don't necessarily expect or feel that i'm emotional necessarily about my adoption mm -hmm. experience mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. why do you feel that you might not get anything out of that or might not get any connections out of that 
maybe that's a defense mechanism that I feel that, but I, you know, I'm in 23andMe, Ancestry.com. I mean, all our, our big ones around here in the U.S. And nothing has been a close relation. Mm. Um, and it's, it's, you know, maybe that will come at some point because uh, I think the Asian countries are starting to be okay with DNA testing. It hasn't been very popular or encouraged is my understanding. Um, but I've tried getting records and you can't, I have no records over in Korea. I've, mm. I've tried to see if I could find a investigator that could help me in, in Korea. And it's difficult with a language barrier. Historically, from the time I was adopted, it was something that was not um, accepted. Single moms, mm -hmm. assuming if my mom was single or whatever the case was, there, there's a good chance it was done in secrecy, my birth. So uh, mm -hmm. I don't know. I'm not super hopeful. I joke with my husband. I joke with my husband. One person who matched me but was too far from match to be considered really a cousin reached out and wanted to meet me. I initially said yes, and then I looked at how far apart we were on the DNA, and I thought, oh, you know, I don't want to open up this can of worms if we're this far apart. She was also an adoptee. And, um, I, but then I kind of joked with my husband, well, how about if, you know, I need a body part at, so, at some point, I should have somebody. And he goes, how about if she's looking for at you to, because she yeah. needs a body part. Right. <laughs> yes. Well, it, but, yeah. I can, I can relate to what you said because, um, I, when I, if I didn't have these close matches with my half brother or my half sister that show up on ancestry, when you start going further down, it almost creates a little angst because it's like, you know, there's some connection, but you know that connecting those dots is going to be so difficult, you know, um, mm -hmm. especially like you alluded to, I was a secret, you know, on my mother's side for sure. So even reaching out to the people that I have that are pretty close connections, that was just sufficiently awkward because it's like, you don't even know I exist, by the way, and I'm your, like, not very far away cousin, you know? It, it yeah. was um, surreal. Yeah, but. and, you know, I've been blessed by being able to travel uh, internationally quite a bit, and I haven't yet done that trip to Korea. And I don't mm -hmm. know what's stopping me, but something is stopping me. And I, I think at some point I, I used to feel like I don't know how to do it. And it felt like I needed to do something special or it had to be right. And I, I was afraid that I was going to get disappointed, I think. And even now to this day, I haven't done that trip yet. And mm -hmm. something is holding me back. And I think it is that fear of being disappointed or that fear that I will go and I won't fit in. Yeah. What if you were to get that um, that ping all of a sudden that looks like it's a close relative and they're in Korea? Would that be the <laughs> would that be yeah. enough to get you on a plane? That would be actually that would be enough to get me on the plane after I did a deep dive through social media and <laughs> yeah, right, make, exactly. make sure it's and, all legit. Yeah, right. did did my little investigation work? But no, absolutely. I mean, I've, I've even applied to be on, um, they, there was a TV show for a while. I don't know if it's still going on in Korea where you go on and you say, this is, you know, what I know about my birth. Is anyone out there to, you know, connect with me? And I've heard nightmare stories about that where people uh, in hotels with lines of birth mothers or families there waiting. Uh, so Fortunately, probably I never got picked to be on that show because I didn't have enough information because they do want to have a show that has a nice ending to right, it. Right, um, right. 
But yes, if there was that, I mean, when I listen to stories, like when I listen to your story, Kendall, or any of your stories on your on your podcast where people have found family, I start crying. And again, I don't know where that emotion comes from, but I could listen to your story time and time again, which I actually I have. And oh. every time I get just as emotional about it. So there is something inside of me that really, really longs for that that connection. So yes, yeah. I would jump on that plane. Yeah. Yes, there's that there's that piece in your heart that's uh, that's empty right now and, mm-hmm. and it wants to be full. We haven't talked about your relationship with your adoptive parents, but I. I know mine was so good that, you know, there's that, it's that just, it's a duality, right? It's like, Mm -hmm. I want to be respectful of them and their memories. But thankfully, I also know that they were very um, open to the thought that I Mm -hmm. could find someone and they were, they always encouraged me to do that. So, you know, I, I know every adoptee probably goes through some level of that, um, with the thought of finding biological family. Yeah, I know my daughter, like I mentioned, my daughter's adopted from China, and I know that she would love, she has a similar situation as me. She had, she has no identifying uh, birth name, birthplace, or birth date. Wow. And I see her struggling with it as well. It's nice that we could bond that way. Um, but it's also interesting watching her experience. And even though she's also Asian like me, so, uh, people may not automatically go, Oh, you're adopted. She, she does comfortably and tells people all the time that she's adopted. And it's interesting too, at some level, I realized the thing about adopted kids is even when we're little, we're always explaining why, why we are in a family to adults. And I remember having these arguments with people as a little child because uh, my parents, people would assume they were my grandparents because they looked older and, mm-hmm. and they were older and they looked older. And so I would always say, no, they're, I'm, I'm, a do- I'm Korean and my name was Japanese, clearly Japanese. And I would have arguments with adult strangers that I was Korean and adopted and explaining to adult strangers why I belonged in this family or justifying where, why I belonged. Mm-hmm. And now looking back at it, and then when I've heard my daughter do the same thing, I think <laughs> this is just, this is a lot for a little child to grow up with having to justify why she's in a, a family. Right. And, and, and what's going through your mind is that's happening, especially as a child, you start thinking, why is this a deal? Why is there mm-hmm. this, this assumed stigma that I don't mm-hmm. feel? You know what I mean? It's bizarre yeah. to me. And and how disrespectful you know, to, to, to treat yeah. any person like that, you know? Or people telling adoptive kids that they're lucky. You're so yeah. lucky. And to, you know, to you don't realize what psychologically that could be doing to a child to think that you're in a family because you're lucky. Right. Um, that's, that's a lot on the confidence. No, <laughs> it's true. To kind of bring that down. I remember, be, I remember hearing that when I was like, probably like four or five. And what the first thing that it made me think is like, well, what else could have happened to me? You know what I mean? Like, you know, it's like, um, I'm well adjusted and I love these people. Uh, you know, this, it doesn't feel like luck. It felt like natural to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting, especially now as adults to look back on our experience as kids. Yep. Sherry, can we talk a little bit about you and your husband's decision to adopt? Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, 
so it actually was his idea. It wasn't a, we didn't, it wasn't like a fertility issue for us. We had been married for a few years and we decided, um, uh, he, you know, we knew at the time because we adopted internationally, it would take about two years at that time. We're like, okay, if we got pregnant, great. If we didn't, you know, we're, we're on this path. And so as it turns out, we, we did not get pregnant. We um, actually, this was this year, the year that we adopted. My dad, who I was very close to, my adoptive father, uh, died that year on my mom's birthday. Oh, and oh. then a few weeks after that, uh, we got noticed that we had a child waiting for us in China. So there was all this stuff happening at once. Hmm. We go to China. We, we pick her up. I was a working uh, litigator at the time. I had a lot of time off. So I was taking this very long maternity leave because we were traveling. We come back. Two weeks later, we found that we find out I was pregnant. I am pregnant oh. at this time, so I had to cut my maternity leave in half because I needed two maternity leaves in one year. Right. Um, so we had our adopted child and our biological baby in the same year. Wow, wow. And how old are your children today? Twenty and twenty-two. Okay. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Wow. So uh, I, 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 we made it through. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. You know, and it's funny, I haven't mentioned him before, but you just made me think of my previous supervisor in San Francisco. He and his wife went through something similar. They'd start making these um, plans for a, a European country. I can't remember which one it was. And and they uh, were planning for this adoption. And then I think as like right at the same time, the the wife of the couple found out she was pregnant. And yeah. so they have these two children. And I think they're exactly the same age. I mean, they're like they're born yeah. in the same year. So I just, it's a, it's a crazy cool story that they all, you know, nope, they're not twins. You know what I mean? Like they don't yeah. look like twins to begin with, but then there's that constant description of, you know, yeah, and you know, honestly, that having a biological child too, especially so close to having an adopted child, also taught me a lot about my own adoption. Watching that, I have this baby who, basically, anytime he moved, made a noise, somebody was there to help him. Somebody yeah. that was there to feed him. He never lacked for knowing who he is. You know, he looks like my husband and I. He knows where he was born. He has his birthday, birth time down to the second. I mean, right. you know, th this child, this baby was brought, in, you know, born into a very secure environment. And I think about my daughter and I, both in similar situations where I, you know, my I always say if my records are correct, because it's hard to know what the record keeping was back in Korea in 1970 mm. or what they may have changed. I, I have no idea. But if right. the records are correct, I had been in four different homes or orphanages before coming to mm. the U.S. And I think about my son and how important that time was for him to be, become secure in who he was, even as an infant, that my daughter and I didn't have. And so by the time we came to our, for lack of better words, forever homes, uh, we had been disappointed quite a bit by people mm -hmm. who are supposed to take care of us and passed around quite a bit. So right. I, I just imagine how that has affected uh, who who we are mm -hmm. <laughs> or what we we work through. Um, not that other biological kids don't have those identity things also because we all struggle in whatever way. We all have a story. 
um, because I really, I really did struggle with confidence. And when I think of I, now, when I look back, a lot of my experience uh, as a young person, I think personally that I can tie it back to not knowing who I was for so mm -hmm. much of my life and mm -hmm. having that not trust. At some mm -hmm. point, I, I just I didn't realize that's why I was doing that. I didn't trust people. Mm -hmm. Now, you mentioned that your father was very ill and about to pass when when this was going on. Um, did your family have an opportunity to, to get to know your kids? No. So my dad actually wasn't ill. He died suddenly of a, of a heart attack. Oh, okay. Um, and again, it was on, on my mom's birthday. So no, he didn't. My mom actually is still alive. She's 94. Um, so she did get to know them. But my dad, who would have been a great, great, wonderful grandfather, unfortunately, uh, missed the opportunity by just mm. less than a year. Oh, wow. Are there are there aunts and uncles and cousins? I know you were an only child, but is there more family out there that you've got to get to know better and, and your children have gotten to know? Um, well, I my mom comes from a very large family. She's one of 10. Oh, and wow. my dad was one of four, but I'm not close to my extended family. Uh, my cousins were a lot older than me growing up, mm -hmm. and we didn't see them very often. And I don't feel that connection. I don't know if that's because of adoption or not. Um, mm -hmm. I, I'm curious because I wonder because I don't also I also don't feel the need to connect, mm -hmm. and I feel a greater need to uh, connect to a biological family member than I do to the family members that I was adopted into. And I don't know if that's just me personally and my relationship with them, or if it's a, uh, a matter of biology. Mm -hmm. So I have a question about birthdays because mm -hmm. you didn't know your birth date. So I imagine your parents, did they cho chose one for you? Well, <laughs> the uh, orphanage chose one for me. And my goodness, if you could choose a birthday, I just actually celebrated my birthday yesterday, which oh. is in December, uh, the middle of oh. December. Why would they have me competing with <laughs> Jesus? I mean, <laughs> for, right. I mean, you know, I mean, that's that's a hard birthday to compete with <laughs> uh, right. Christmas and the holiday season. So they chose a birthday for me and they gave me a very challenging birthday nine days before Christmas. Jeez. Oh boy. Yikes. <laughs> I know one of our really good friends is, is a Christmas, you know, he was born on Christmas. And oh, just, wow. Yeah. It's just, uh, so empty. when the time came for your daughter that had the orphanage also chosen a, a birthday for her. Yes, they did. Mm. And they were, um, much much kinder she is a late uh late april birthday which is the perfect time of year to have perfect. a birthday you no know kidding. people are perfect. still in school weather is nice your options are out there um yeah. people aren't upset at you for having a birthday in the middle of a fun <laughs> season right <laughs> so i'm curious has she taken any dna tests she has and oh. um she's also on uh 23 and me as well and the same as me. In fact, I think uh, she has less connections and mm. maybe that's because China, there's uh, less opportunity. And I think most of the people right. who are even remotely connected to her are adoptees as well in the U.S. Oh. Uh, but my understanding actually is that in China, they're starting to do this with birth moms, have a DNA bank. And I don't know exactly how they're doing that, but mm. uh yeah, she's very interested. And I could actually see, because we share a family account, I could see her logging on 
And mm. she, you know, she's been on this for quite some time, even when she was in uh, high school, middle school, uh, whenever this actually started with 23andMe. And so I, I know she's curious and interested. Yeah. Do you have conversations about that? Like what she's, you know, what her hopes are as far as finding connections? Yeah, she would really love to find um, her family. And she, she has, she's very different than my husband, myself, and my son. We are all kind of wired the same way. We are very, uh, school is meant for us. It's designed for us. We are test takers. We are, you know, check the box, checklist. We are designed for the, the, common education system. My daughter is creative. She mm. does things differently than we do. Uh, she, she comes up with great ideas. She, she, she doesn't, she's more spontaneous. She doesn't like tests. She doesn't like math and science. She'd rather listen to poems. She'd rather sing. None of us can carry a tune. She can carry a <laughs> tune. But that, that means she's the odd person out, right, in our family. So she'll ask questions. I wonder if my birth family did this. I wonder if my birth yeah. family can carry a tune, you know? Yeah. Um, and so she's she's looking for where are these traits because, you know, my son, people will say even, you know, oh, he's just like you or he's just, he mm. looks just like you or he looks like a combination of you. Every little thing they can tie for him back to my husband or I, including his weird toe. That's my husband's, you know? <laughs> <laughs> but, my daughter, she'll, that's when these things will come up. She, you know, she has math, math dyscalculia. I wonder if my parents had math dyscalculia. Hmm. I mean, things like that. Trying to figure out how she fits in and where all this stuff came from. Yeah. What was it like for them growing up? You know, one an adoptee and, and you know, one a birth child growing up, going to school at the same time. Yeah, I'm really glad that uh, they were two different genders. I think mm -hmm. that helped because it helped from the comparison uh, that people tend to do with siblings in general, especially so close in age. Uh, they, we, started, we sent them to different schools starting middle school on because their education needs were different and thankfully mm -hmm. we were able to do that. So they didn't get that comparison uh, because my daughter does struggle with learning disabilities uh, and or, you know, I say learning disabilities, but honestly, I, what I learned, one of the things, she doesn't have discount, um, what do you call it, dysgraphia or um, dyscalculia. She doesn't have that, but I learned that that's not a disability in China or any mm. of the uh, character countries because they don't write that way the way we do. So mm -hmm. when I say a learning disability, what I mean really with her is a disability, uh, a learning style that doesn't work in the traditional school. So we, they grew up going to very separate schools, even though they were just a grade apart in age. And I think mm -hmm. that helped. They're very uh, respectful of one another. They would not have necessarily been friends in school because they're so different. But right now they're both in Los Angeles together, going to Disneyland with a group of friends. Um, so I just, they're very kind to one another. Yeah. That's awesome. That's, mm -hmm. that's what you want, right? Yeah. 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 That's exciting too, because I'm a I'm a Disney freak. So <laughs> I am too. I love yeah. Disney. I, was, I, I, I when people tell me they don't love Disney, I just stare at them. Right. <laughs> yeah. I don't. I, I don't get it. Yes. I my uh, I carry my laptop in a Disney villain's backpack. You know, probably for designed for a child, but I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> I get a lot of compliments on it. Yeah. And strange looks, but that's okay. Right. <laughs> yes. At least people are paying attention. 
<laughs> yep. Right. Yes. Because it's kind of purple. <laughs> it is purple. Yeah. <laughs> so it's it's not the most discreet of right. bags. But... So your story is is still sort of open ended. It's kind of it's it's interesting. We'd be definitely curious to to hear what happens. You know, if if you do end up with a connection, as as you know, things are starting to open up, and uh, other countries are starting to explore. You know the idea of, of opening things up to birth mothers. You know, getting on a registry—it's um, yeah. an exciting time. Yeah, ab- absolutely. And I, I just think it'd be life-changing. It's one of those things that I, I for some reason, I feel like it's not going to happen. But there's a piece of me that feels like it could. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even thinking about it, it, it makes me emotional. Yep. Yeah. Uh, I just I'm can't t- imagine what that would be like. I'm totally with you. I mean, I remember. You know, Corey and I met uh, long ago, um, you know, almost 18 years ago. And honestly, even at that point, I think I had, I won't say I had given up, but I had just resigned myself, you know, pretty successfully, I think, that it just wasn't going to happen. You know, and this is obviously before DNA was really a a factor in searches. And, um, but it, talk about life-changing you know that that instant (laughs) that i got i hadn't you know i obviously hadn't gone through what he had gone through as far as the years of like looking and and dead ends and stuff but the you know the journalist in me was like pushing like how could you not we gotta keep looking you know how could you how could you want to stop you know there's it's this big mystery out there and i I just kept saying i'm like man the chances of there being family out there are so yeah. huge. I really right. feel like there's there, there, your people are out there. We just have to yeah, find them. Definitely, I, I, there have to be half siblings or or something like that. I would imagine. For sure. So, can right. I ask you, Kendall, when you met your when you found out and you met your birth family or found out something about them, did you feel something inside? Like, did you did that change the way you felt inside? Yeah, and and I think. Partly, and you can relate to this because of losing your dad, you know, when you did. Um, it's such a, a, you know, a weird time in your own family life. Um, you know, I think because my parents have been gone so long, I'd really gotten used to being, I don't want to say on my own. You know, I, I definitely have family members that I had remained connected to in, in my adoptive family and things. But there was an instant um, just that. Oh my gosh, I belong to somebody. You know what I mean? Like yeah. um biologically, like, oh my gosh. You know, and and to see we should post, Uncle Sean would let us, um, we should post a photo of um I look like my birth father and my birth mother, but I look strangely like my birth father's brother. <laughs> like wow, like wow. yeah, very much like Uncle Sean. Like you and, think you look like him when you look at, at him. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> it is. Because you know, just to your point, you know, uh, and I think I've maybe mentioned this on a different episode in my adoptive family, we look like the Benetton ad. That's what I always say <laughs> because my dad was super, he was, he, my adoptive father was partially um, at least maybe an eighth um, Native American, so super dark complexion, black hair. My mother was alabaster white, you know, and with reddish hair. And I was this little kid in the middle that was just different complexion with blonde <laughs> hair. And so, you know, I, I, 
knew I didn't look like they did, you know. Yeah. And when people would claim to see similarities, we would all just laugh out loud and say, <laughs> that's nice of you to say, but that's not real. Uh, and so, you know, to find people that I really, you know, favor, I mean, I, I feel like I look like a lot of my siblings. <laughs> yeah, I, I think Kendall's even underplaying it a little bit. I mean, when you ask about, was there a change inside? Oh. Immediate. Uh, I mean, you from can that see it. First... You can also see it. Oh, oh yes. Spot. From uh, from that first phone call with his brother, his, his he had changed. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then yeah, it just it I... just it grew from there, and and that's why we went on this crazy journey. I mean, I, I think if there if there hadn't been that instant like wow electricity connection you know we probably wouldn't have moved but i mean it all happened so fast you know conversations on the phone turned into a trip a couple months later and that turned into we're moving from california to new england <laughs> in two months, <laughs> in two months right. so from the time we found my family in august it was only until january that we had moved across. and you didn't scare them by doing that <laughs> Well, no, it's funny that you say that because my, my brother, Chris, the, the one person I connected mm -hmm. with first, he was very happy, of course, because we were so happy to find each other, but he had a lot of anxiety about the fact, he's like, yeah. you guys have nice lives out there, you have great jobs, you have a great home, you've got great friends, and he just didn't want to oversell uh, right. the experience, although he was, like I said, very happy and uh, and it's been wonderful, but you know, even this morning I joked with him on, we were texting and I said, uh, because of the snow that Corey alluded to, I was like, can I remind you that I haven't whined enough lately about this horrible <laughs> weather here and, you know, almost like, and yeah. you guys are worth it, but you know, you know, it's, yeah. it's, yeah, we, you're the only reason we're here. You know, it's like, we, I was really um, holding out for a not white Christmas. Yeah, but I think no kidding. It has arrived. Yeah. Well, you know, you know what I realized talking to you, and I mentioned that listening to your story and the stories that you share, it makes me emotional. As you talk about your story, you know, I do. I feel something inside, and I think it's healing. At least that's my view as an adoptee to hear other adoptees' stories when they find family. And, you know, even though it's not happening for me right now, when I hear your story, there's something inside of me when you say, I feel like I found that I belong, or there's a feeling mm -hmm. that I belong to someone, I belong somewhere. For me, that feels very healing to hear you say that, because it reminds me that there is somebody out there and I do belong to somebody. I came from someplace. Yeah. Um, so I think that's the wonderful miracle about your podcast and the stories you share is there is also, you know, in addition to them being very interesting, uh, there I feel that there's really a healing for, well, at least for me as an adoptee, to listen to other adoptee stories. That's exactly what we want to do. Um, and I'm usually emotional anyway, and I'm making myself emotional right now. But you're right. Um, to this day, when we step through the threshold at my brother's house, um, it's, I'm not mystic, but it feels almost magical to me. It's like, I'm at my brother's house. You know, it took me 47 years to discover this person. And the, when he hugs me and, you know, it just makes you feel like, wow, what was I missing all those years? 
you know. Yeah, wow, that's surreal. So. And I think that's, you know, that's maybe that my fear of of going to Korea without having somebody there to meet me is mm-hmm. that that's the feeling that even stepping off the plane and being in my birth country, for some reason, I feel like I I should feel like I belong or that I should have this feeling. And I fear that if I don't have that connection already there, that I know somebody's going to meet me there, mm-hmm. I might feel lost. And I think Ooh, that I may be the biggest thing that's holding me back from taking that next step is actually at least visiting my birthplace or um, mm-hmm. birth country. But conversely, it might make you feel really, um, you know, partially at peace, you know, like yes, having, yeah. have, having never been there. You know, it's funny because I had been to Boston many, many times in my past and never knowing that I had any connection to New England because this is where I was conceived. Um, so, but, but stepping off the plane when Corey, Corey and I arrived in August, uh, I'm sorry, October of 2017, it was a different feeling to your point. I mean, yeah. stepping, I was like, Oh, like never thinking that I had this weird connection to New England, you know, um, that continues, of course, but it, it was a different, it was a different feeling like, mm. oh, yeah, I was I came from this place, you know, it's like, even though I had never lived here, you know. Interesting. But, That's the yeah. thing movies are made of. <laughs> yeah, right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, you know, sort of selfishly, it's been nice to be able to to sort of create a community through this podcast because it's you know, every story that we hear, we're just like, we're, we're just sitting here in awe and just like sometimes our jaws are hitting the, <laughs> hitting the table. And, but, you know, we, we, we love our families, but we also love our chosen families. And, and, mm-hmm. you know, we just, this is an opportunity for us to sort of, you know, connect with people who are going through the same thing. Yeah. Well, I appreciate it. And your stories, they're all so different than one another. Um, and they're, they're interesting and I've, you know, I find myself going down the rabbit hole as I go through your podcast. I'm going to start to listen to one. Also, I'm listening to, you know, this man who, who's fostering all these children and then right. this woman who, who finds her birth family after 40 years or whatever yeah. it was, a, yeah. a, us yeah. two half siblings meeting up together again after years. I mean, mm-hmm. it's really fascinating and the changes that happen in lives through adoption and through finding um their birth connections it's amazing mm-hmm. absolutely it's um i mean it talk about heartwarming you know it's just oh. like wow i mean it's just it's great it's you know we're we're it's a it's a treat for us to be able to share stories like this mm-hmm. well thank you and you know i just want i want people to never lose hope because I, if it took me 47 years you know it can happen anytime you know it can just happen it's a, all it takes my joke with Corey is all it takes is one vial of, of saliva in a tube, you know, it's like, it's just, right. It's that simple. And, um, you know, that's not very glamorous, but Hey, <laughs> it's what it takes. Right. <laughs> well, I, I'm hoping, you know, I just turned 53 yesterday. And so I'm hoping, and I actually hope when it happens, it's before I'm so old that it becomes a big news story. <laughs> right, right, right. 95 year old woman finally yep. finds. So I'm hoping it happens. <laughs> right. It does happen a little bit before then. Yeah. You know, it's funny you say that because I just, you know, I, I'm always looking, you know, always searching online, you know, for potential stories for the oh, podcast. Yeah. And, yeah. 
just stumbled upon a, a like a not local to us but just like a local um news story about a man who uh was found on a doorstep and he just turned 90 and it was oh. his christmas wish to find family and he's got two brothers and they've been able to talk and and you know it's just wow i mean 90 you know yeah. wow so, that's amazing i know yeah that's amazing. Yeah. It's like, it's never too late, right? <laughs> it's, right. It's never, it's never too late. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. Very hopefully. good. Yeah. Well, Sherry, definitely stay in touch with us and, you know, keep us up to date as to what's happening with your story. And thank you so much for coming on and being so open about it. This has been wonderful. Yeah. Family Twist features original music from Cosmic Afterthoughts and is presented by Savoir Faire Marketing Communications. 